when my grandparents came over as immigrants um, on both my mom and dad's side to America, they saw in New York Harbor that symbol of freedom from the deck of their ship that they came over on. It was the Statue of Liberty. And we see it every day, those of us who are from New York, we see it so often, it is a tourist attraction. Um, but for millions and millions of people from the turn of the century, it was a sign of freedom. It represented freedom, freedom to worship, freedom um, from, from some, many of them from oppressive systems. And I, was, I found something very interesting. I was looking at some facts about that Statue of Liberty given to the U.S., France in 1886. It's a football field high, 300 feet up in the air. It looms in New York Harbor. I didn't even know this. Do you know that Statue of Liberty is struck by lightning 600 times a year? 600 times a year. It was built by the Eiffel Tower guy, Bartholdi. And the face of the lady, the face of, of Lady Liberty is Bartholdi's mother. So let me just let you know, that's no pressure for Mother's Day, but you have, but he has his mother's face on that Statue of Liberty. 1982, I'm, the engineers realized its head wasn't on straight, it's two feet off center. And one of my favorite things is that statue of the Statue of Liberty, Lady, Lady Liberty, has a size 879 shoe. So if you're going to go buy shoes for her, it's going to be pretty impossible. But the fact that I love and the folklore that I love, that no one seems to dispute it, but they found, they say that there is a treasure in the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. They said there are three things in that pedestal underneath her 879 size shoe under Lady Liberty. They said there is a box underneath the Statue of Liberty that it contains three things. There is a copy of the Constitution of the United States of America, there is a portrait of the statue's designer, Bartholdi, and there are 20 bronze medals from the revolutionary period. Those three things. It's not disputed. For some, it's folklore. But I kept thinking about those three treasures. And today, I want you to know, I found a treasure a few weeks ago in the Bible. I found three treasures in one New Testament verse that, in a sense, I, this is what I, I can tell you. I never saw it coming. I was reading one of the darkest chapters of the New Testament that told of all these horrible stories of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, these three treasures jumped out. It took my breath away when I saw it. It filled my heart with joy. So I want to give it to you today. I want you to see what I saw today. But I have to start with the Old Testament. In fact, let me reintroduced to some of you an Old Testament Bible character named Lot today for the next few moments. Um, I want to introduce him to you from the Old Testament, and then I want to reintroduce you to him from the New Testament. And really, basically, his story is in Genesis, and his, his conclusion ends in the New Testament. And if you have some Bible knowledge, you will know about the neighborhood that Lot lived in. Lot lived in what we're familiar with is called Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's the part I want you to get. He lived there not on accident. He lived there by choice. Genesis 19, where I want to read to you today, is the story about how Lot was visited by two angels 
in Sodom and Gomorrah. The city was going to be destroyed and was under God's judgment. This is just before God was going to rain down brimstone upon this city that was, that was filled with such sin, and Lot, Abraham's nephew, chose to live there. The angels came on a rescue mission to get Lot and his family out. It was interesting that the worst volcanic eruption in the United States took place in 1980. Many of us remember it was Mount St. Helen in Washington State. 57 people died, and this is what the authorities say, and it was needless deaths. 57 needless deaths because nobody would heed the authorities that said in these amount of days, this volcano is going to blow. And the 57 deaths, most of them occurred right at the base of that city and would not heed the authorities. What's amazing is the authorities to evacuate Sodom in Genesis 19 were two heaven-sent angels. When you read Genesis 18, three came from heaven. And what was interesting is one of them was Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus called the angel of the Lord. In fact, he stayed with Abraham and Sarah and began to speak of the birth of, of a baby that was coming, a baby of promise called Isaac, while the other two angels walked to Sodom and Gomorrah on the rescue mission. I want to read to you Genesis 19 because you need to see this in order uh, today and how important this is. Because Lot is in a bad place geographically, not only geographically, but spiritually. And one affects the other many times. Keep this in mind, jot this down. The quality of your relationships many times will determine the quality of your life. Who you hang with will determine many times what your future looks like. And that's why it's so important that we keep an eye, even as parents, of even our children of who they hang with. Because relationships are so important. I always remember as a young man growing up in a youth group, and I will never forget the illustration that my youth pastor used to tell us. He used to put one of us on top of a chair, and, he, and they used to hold hands, one on top of the chair and one on the ground, and said, which is easier, to pull one up or for them to pull you down? And it's always the thing to keep in mind. Lot was on the bottom and Lot was being pulled down. I'm sorry, Lot was on the chair and was being pulled down by Sodom. And what was happening was this, jot this down. Lot was in Sodom, but the problem was Sodom was in Lot. And this is what we have to see. I want to read to you some of the darkest scriptures, but you have to let me do this because we're going to get to a good spot here in a second. Let me read to you Genesis 18, a number of scriptures, to, so you can see Sodom in Lot for just a second. Let me read this to you, starting in Genesis 19. This is verse 1, and I want you to see this today as we go through this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 19. If not, you're going to see it on the screen. And this is what it says. Listen to these words. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. We'll explain that in a second. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, speaking to the angels, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, however, no, but we shall not 
We used to spend the night in the square. They chose to spend the night in the city of Sodom rather than in Lot's house. That's how bad Lot is spiritually. The Bible says, yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. He prepared a feast for them, baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, now watch what's happening. They're in the middle of a meal. Lot and his family are in the middle of a meal with angels. And the Bible says, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, young and old, and all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may have relations with them. They wanted to rape angels. Look at this now. But Lot went out to them and shut the door behind them and said, now look what he, please, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. And look what happens. It says, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Let me bring them out to you. And you do whatever you would like, only do nothing to these men. Folks, can anybody even, even comprehend this? Look at this. This is, how, this is how messed up this man is. Look at this now. Inasmuch as they have come um, under, uh, under my roof, go back to verse 8, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, verse 9, look at this now. But they said, stand aside. And furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, speaking of Lot, and already is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot, came near to break down the door. And here's what it says, verse 10. But the men reached out, this is the angels, reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house with them, shut the door, struck the men who were at the doorway of the house, all the sodomites, and brought blindness on them, small and great. So they wearied themselves just to find the doorway. Verse 12, then the, men, the two men said to Lot, whom else have you have here? He said, I have a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whoever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry has become so great from the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14, don't miss this. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law these are, and, and, and who were to marry his daughters and said, look at, look at this urgency. Up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting, to be kidding around. He can't even speak with urgency. Look what happens in verse 15. But when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot and said, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Obviously, the sons didn't even go. And you will be swept away or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, the Bible says, but he hesitated. He hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. For the, and I love this part. For the compassion of of the Lord was upon him. Oh my goodness. I, I'm just telling you, um, by, the, by the first thing that he did with these sodomite men, I would have just said, let him go. Let Lot perish with all of them. But the how many know that the compassion of God is greater than even all of our stupidity and foolishness God's compassion. I thank God for his compassion today. And they brought him out of the city where all of us would have left him in the city and put him outside. When they had brought him outside, now they go to him, escape for your life. Don't look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Look at Lot's response. Verse 18, 
But Lot said, oh no, my Lord. I'm going, what is wrong with this man? Oh no, my Lords. Now behold, now he's negotiating. Your servant has found favor in your sight. We've magnified your loving kindness, which you've shown to me by saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, there's a town that's near enough to flee. It's small, but please let me escape there that my life may be saved. And he said to him, behold, I grant you this request. Now also not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape, for there I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town is called Zoar. Verse 23, almost done. The sun had risen over the earth where the lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valleys and the inhabitants of the cities what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Final verse. And thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the myth. Don't miss that last part. Lot was rescued because a man started to pray for his nephew. Don't miss this. And Lot out of the midst of the overthrow with he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now church, those that are watching online, I want to draw your attention to some disturbing things about Lot, his family. Very quickly, the Bible says in verse 1, he's sitting at the gate of Sodom. That, that's a governmental word, which means he is in the thick of making decisions in that city, which probably could mean that Lot is part of the problem if he's sitting in the gate. He is conversing and speaking because decisions were made, government decisions were made in the gate. Secondly, when the men of the city come to his house and want to rape angels, instead Lot offers his daughters for their treachery. When he wants his sons-in-law to, to flee the city, for some reason they think he's joking. And, that, and, and because maybe he's never spoken with an urgency or with a soberness to his own sons-in-law, maybe, maybe even about how to be a husband to his, to his daughters, they think he's joking. And if you just kind of fill in the blank, that means his own sons-in-law have died. Lot hesitates on obeying the clear command of God to escape for your life. Angels are telling him flee, and Lot is negotiating with angels about a new neighborhood he should be going to. And finally, there is a section I, I didn't even want to read where it just, it is the bottom, Times Square Church. It's the bottom of this whole, of this whole chapter. It's Lot and his two daughters, the only three that are left. Lot and his two daughters are in a cave in Zoar. And the Bible says, I will not read it. Lot has an incestual relationship with his daughters. And the incense, incest is so catastrophic, Lot's daughters give birth, you ready for this? To two of Israel's immortal enemies. That comes out of a cave, out of incest, that born on that day was Moab and Ammon. Read the Old Testament. They're always fighting the Moabites, always fighting the Ammonites. Now, some of you are going, Pastor Tim, why on a celebratory day like today, water baptism of all that's going to happen, why are you reading this? We should be joyful. We should be reading about the baptism of Jesus. Where are we going to, but, but I'm telling you, when it's all said and done today, 
we are going to shout in this place today. But we had to go deep into this. Lot, no, listen, I think we can all agree, Lot is a train wreck. Question, after reading this horrible chapter of the, New Test, of the Old Testament, Genesis 19, I have a question for you. Here it is. What adjective would you put before Lot's name? Like what, to describe Lot, what would you say about him? What would be that descriptive word? Blank Lot. Let me, let me help you if you don't have enough. Sinful Lot. Horrible Lot. Wicked Lot. Corrupt. Detestable. Am I doing pretty good? Depraved Lot. How about this one? Reprobate lots. Folks, we, and that's just a few of them. There is something the Bible does that I've realized recently. The Holy Spirit will give us the worst and darkest narratives of people's lives to show us the amazing grace and the transformative power of God's. It is as if God brings out the velvet, the black velvet, before he puts the diamond on it. You can't see the diamond unless you have the black velvet to put it against. Let me explain about what I mean here very briefly. When God wants you to see how he can deliver out of pain, he doesn't just give you a, a, a person going through a painful season. He gives you Job and says, can any of us in one day face the loss of 10 children? You become homeless, lose your fortune, and lose your health all in one day. And then all of a sudden, you watch God. He slides that black velvet before he puts the diamond. And then 42 chapters later, you see a man who finds himself back in the presence of God, the restoration of God, and God going, I can take you through the darkest seasons of your life. How about those that have faced abuse from your family? God goes, let me give you a story about a 17-year-old boy named Joseph on how he was abused by his own brothers, wanted to kill him just for sharing a dream, and then sold into slavery. Who knew? What could who knows what could have happened to him while well, he was thrown into slavery as a 17-year-old boy. And all of a sudden, the Bible shows us the diamond that slips on this, that, uh, that God raises Joseph up to second in charge of a kingdom. And when he has the power to retaliate and give revenge, God says, here comes the diamond. I'm going to show you how to forgive your enemies when you have the chance to retaliate against them. Only God can do that. How about the paralysis of your past? All the things that you have done. God, takes, God says, let me show you a man's story of a man who's responsible for many murders of good people. In fact, not just good people, but Christian people. His name was Saul, but God goes, hold on. A diamond is coming in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. I'm going to take a murderer of Christians and I'm going to change his life. I'm going to take a murderer and make him an evangelist. I'm going to take a murderer and have him write most of the New Testament. I'm going to take a man 
that you would think we would give up on, that you would have put a bunch of adjectives in front of his name, murderer Saul, or, or forgotten Saul, or, or, or just deplorable Saul. And God goes, who would have thought that one day you'd call him the Apostle Paul? And God can take the past and do something. The Bible gives us people's extreme sin stories to show us how amazing God's grace really is. Folks, make no mistake about it. This church sits here today because of one of those extreme stories. Who would have thought that God would take the most notorious gang member of New York City named Nicky Cruz, send a preacher from, from Pennsylvania, the hills of Pennsylvania named David Wilkerson, a man responsible, Nicky Cruz responsible for many deaths and much violence in New York City. And God goes, I'm going to put a call upon him. Nicky Cruz is not going to be a gang member. Just when you wanted to give up on him, I'm going to put upon him evangelist. I'm going to put upon him godly man. I'm going to do something in his life. It's nothing but the amazing grace of God. And can we just be honest, whether you're online, in the balcony, or on this main floor, all of us have experienced the amazing grace of God. And then God slips in Genesis 19. Oh, that's a low chapter. Lot is one of those extreme stories. I never thought of him that way until I found those three treasures like the Statue of Liberty. It was better than 20 gold coins. It was better than a portrait of a, of a, of, of a sculpture. It was better than a copy of the Constitution. I found a treasure in 2 Peter chapter 2. In between Genesis 19 and 2 Peter chapter 2, you really have nothing said of Lot except two little moments in Psalms called the children of Lot or Jesus called it the days of Lot. That's it. We have no other story that's there. So after Genesis 19, we basically get nothing until a treasure box shows up in, Gen in 2 Peter chapter 2. Folks, I have to show you what took my breath away. It's 2 Peter chapter 2. Lot's name comes up in an unexpected way. Here's what the Bible says. Listen to it. And if God rescued Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men by what he saw and heard. That righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Folks, let me ask you the, let me re ask you the question. Do you remember your descriptive words for Lot after reading Genesis 19, deplorable, reprobate, reprehensible, sinner, ungodly. Folks, did you see the three treasures in 2 Peter chapter 2? This is what the Bible says. Righteous Lot, righteous man, righteous soul. Folks, I, you, don't even, you may be shocked. That's why you're looking at me like you are. Anybody shocked like me? Listen, I'm a further ahead because I've been thinking about this for two weeks. Amen, Pastor Tim. You'll get there. You'll get there. Look at it again. Righteous lot. Righteous man. Righteous soul. Seriously? 
I never saw this coming. There was no on-ramp in between Lot's Genesis story and the New Testament of 2 Peter. I have no on-ramp. I have no, no gradual turning of this man. How do you go from a foolish man to a righteous man? I, I have only one answer. God. Only God can take Genesis 19 and make you a righteous man. Only God can take you from Sodom and Gomorrah and rescue you and make you a righteous man. I, I never would have assigned righteous to his name, righteous Lot. I, I shouted when I read this, like, are you kidding me? When I read the story of Lot, trust me, I never read Genesis 19 and go, oh, righteous Lot's. Thank God I'm not God. Let me help you. And thank God you're not God. I judge people too fast. It's easy to put adjectives in front of people's names that God has never given. Let's just be honest. Lot would have been canceled by the church by the first two verses. Think of it. He's in the gate. He's offering his daughters. He isn't taken seriously, causing the deaths of his sons-in-law. He hesitated on the command of God, negotiates with angels of a new neighborhood and the finale of incest with his daughters. And then Peter tells this story about Lot and tells us why it's important. Peter says that God rescues righteous Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah and reminds us that if God rescued this man, the Lord knows how to rescue us from temptation. Listen to it. If, the Bible says, if he rescued righteous Lot. I, I can't believe he said that. If he rescued righteous Lot. Because how many are like, well, don't even raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I would have left him there. I would have said, uh-uh, you can't go. Burn the whole place down. But if he rescued righteous Lot, skip over to verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. But here's the part that gets me. But folks, go, go back to verse 8 for a second. Let me just read. If he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct, he's speaking about the Sodomites, by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, he's calling him a righteous man by what he sees and hears, that he felt his righteous soul tormented every single day. Here's the part, folks, that just floored me. I never saw it coming. That Lot didn't become righteous after Sodom, but he was called righteous while he was in Sodom. I don't even understand that. I don't even understand that. You can argue all you want. It's there in the scripture. It's there. What? I, I'm going, I, I was waiting for... For, for like this conversion moment. And God goes, no, 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 no. Lot's righteousness was during this horrible time while he was living in the city. It's not about, this is not about an unsaved man that becomes, a, this, is, this is not about a Christian brother that even got stuck in a bad situation. This is about a gracious God who knows how to rescue his messed up kids. That's what this is about. This, this is God knowing how to rescue his children when they've totally messed up their lives. 
Lot chose to live in Sodom. Lot not only chose Sodom, but chose to be in leadership, chose to sit in the gate. And despite all of this, God shows off his graciousness by rescuing him. God didn't rescue a man that had something unfortunate happen to him. God rescued a man who really made a foolish decision. He's not rescuing a man that just kind of, that, that found himself in an unfortunate situation. It is God never gave up on Lot. Why? His grace is amazing and his patience is even shocking at times. God's patience with you and with me, it's shocking. His grace is amazing. To think of, this is what God calls Lot, righteous man, righteous soul, righteous Lot. I was reading the story of one of the smartest minds, but biggest agnostics in America in the 19th century. His name would be known, especially among the Ivy League schools as a thinker, but an agnostic. His name was Robert Ingersoll. He would lecture even in, they would invite him into the divinity schools, especially the Ivy League ones. And there he would begin to question God to all these divinity students studying for the ministry. And he used to do something at the end of his lectures. Ingersoll would open up his pocket watch for all the students to see. And as he would open up his pocket watch, he would say these words. This is what he would say. I will give God five minutes to strike me dead for the things I have said about him. And he'd put his pocket watch and he would count it off. When the five minutes were over, he would shut the watch and Ingersoll would say these words. God did not retaliate because God does not exist. To all of these students going into the ministry. But during one of those lectures, one of the, and one of his stunts, sat an evangelist named Theodore Parker. And when he saw the antic of Ingersoll, watch open, five minutes over, God did not retaliate, therefore God does not exist. He was asked, Theodore Parker, the evangelist, think of, think of Ingersoll for a moment as a lot. Think of him, and this is what he said. This is what Parker said. He said, and did the gentleman think he could exhaust the patience of the eternal gods in five minutes? How, Pastor Devin Goff led us in it. How great is our God. You can't exhaust his patience. You can't make less amazing his grace. That folks, God is bigger than the wickedest city in human history, Sodom and Gomorrah. God is bigger than our mistakes and issues. Thank God you can't exhaust his patience and thank God you can't exhaust his mercy. Because God is love, because God is patient, he calls Lot righteous. Righteous has nothing to do with our perfection, but God's view of us. It's God's imputed righteousness. I can be the righteousness. Okay, I'm going to say this, and I know you, you send whatever you want. Here we go. I can be the righteousness of God in Christ and dumb at the same time. Just because you're the righteousness of God in Christ doesn't mean you're perfect. It means God is perfect, God is patient, and God is full of grace. I don't know about you, but is there any 
Is there any imperfect people in this place along with me that says, thank God for his patience? This is a good moment to lift your hands and just say, thank you, God, for your patience. Thank you for your patience. I think Lot should have perished in the fire of Sodom, but God didn't think so. This story blew my mind. From a London paper, it was reported a man sent this in to an to a op-ed piece and said, I was reporting, he was report, it was a report on a, as a wedding guest, that he was, he was a wedding guest and was sent, contacted by the newlyweds who he gave a gift to. And the, their, their letter to him wasn't a thank you for your gift. It was a letter about his gift not being generous enough. I, it's, I'm telling you. You can't even make this up. They said, the unnamed guest posted to a forum asking for advice. She said, I gave them a hundred pound check in London and, and, they, and, and they said it wasn't enough. She revealed how the couple who had asked for cash gifts had emailed saying, we were surprised by the amount of your wedding gifts. In fact, the bride and the groom emailed him this. This is what they said. We were surprised that your contribution didn't seem to match the warmth of your good wishes on our big day. In view of your own position, if you wanted to send any adjustments, it would be thankfully received. Let me just define what own position is. They knew she just came into some inheritance money. That's what it was. Can I just help you today? Let me say this. One thing you will never say about God is this. We are surprised by your contribution. We suggest an adjustment, God. <laughs> Folks, he never has to adjust. He gives loving kindness. He gives grace. He gives more than enough. God is good. God is great. And God is generous. How can you call him righteous lot, a righteous soul, and a righteous man? It's because God is great, and God is just. No adjustment needed. You rescued lot. You're amazing. You call him righteous. You're still amazing, which means this, 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is. Even if you messed your life up, he remains faithful for us. I'm telling you, that's the kind of God I serve. That's the kind of God I love. That's the kind of God I know. That's the kind of God I believe in. That's the kind of God that can set us free today. That's the God that comes no matter what you've done. God has come to set you free today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, stand with me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Men's adjectives about you mean nothing. It's what God says about you. It's what God says about you. That's what it's about. This is a moment that we will usually end in giving people an opportunity many times to respond or to be born again. I want to do something totally different here. Because I have to ask this question as the 
band comes. How does this kind of thing happen? How do you go from wicked Genesis 19 and end up in 2 Peter chapter 2 being called righteous lot, righteous man, righteous soul? I don't get it. Folks, I'm just telling you, if you're here for the first time, you're in the right place today. Pastor Patrick has talked about it. Brother Dave Wilkerson has talked about it. Pastor Carter has talked about it. How does that happen? Here it comes. Simple words. It's the new covenant. Some of you may not know those words. I'll explain them to you in just a second. In fact, I've been rereading Brother Dave Wilkerson's book on the new covenant revealed. I've been even listening to some of the sermons he has preached from this pulpit. In fact, in the next few months, Pastor Carter is going to come and just take all day just to share about the new covenant. David Wilkerson said in that book, New Covenant Revealed, listen, he said, the Father and the Son made a covenant with each other to preserve the seed of Christ. Look what it says. And he ensures that you are going to endure to the end. Even if you are caught in a Genesis 19 neighborhood. You see, the, how can your story end regardless of even how bad your 19 looks? One of the number one questions I ask people all the time, and this is, I, I want to make this real. One of the number one questions I ask people is this, when I'm sharing the gospel with them, I said, why should you go to heaven? Why should you go to heaven? You know what most of them always say? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And some of you are sitting here today and you'd say that. Some of you online. And then I, I would always tell them this. Okay, here's what Jesus said. And Jesus, who cannot lie, said these words. No one is good except God alone. So we've got a problem. Either Jesus is lying or you're not good. Or if you are good, now we have two good people in the universe, you and God. And I'm going to have to go with God on this one and leave you out. Think of it. No one except God is good. And then people are going, but I'm a good person. Ah, don't say that. Don't say that. And once you say that, now they begin to understand that God the Father did not send his only son to suffer horrifically on the cross so that you can do your best to get to heaven. The cross means more than, than that. Jesus did not die to get you to sit in church. Jesus died to get you for eternity. You have no way to get yourself to heaven. You need help. You need a miracle. And then the words that we just shared, you need a new covenant. The old covenant puts you in the driver's seat and says, do your best. However, this is what got me excited, and this is my born-again plea to you. Here it is. The Bible says in Hebrews 8, 6, but in the fact the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator to superior to the old one, the old covenant, since the new covenant is established on better promises. The new covenant is established on better promises. So here's the question, and this is where we finish. What are the better promises of the new covenant? 
And it's all found in that same chapter. I'm telling you, I saw it with two words. Two words. And it's repeated over and over again, seven times. Seven times. Seven times in Hebrews 8, God says this, I will. I will. I will. The new covenant is God saying, I will. The old covenant is you saying, I will. Where the old covenant was man trying to do better, the new covenant is God saying, you can't. You need me. You can't be a Christian without Christ. When, when we understand this, let me just read it to you as we close. Hebrews chapter 8. Look what comes next. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When, what does it say? Make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to me. I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant. What does it next say? I will establish with the people at that time, declares the Lord. What's the next words? I will put my laws in their minds. What's next? I will write them on their hearts. What does it say? I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they reach to their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Verse 12, for forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Hallelujah. I will. God says, I will, here it comes, because we can't. Let me say that again. God says, I will, because we can't. How does the biggest train wreck of a Christian become a righteous man? God says, I will do it for you. How can someone get born again here right now or online and get water baptized in the same day? God can do that. If it's up to us, we're going, no, 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 you got to clean up everything in your life. Oh my goodness. If we have to get you cleaned up, we may be here for years. Thank God it doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon him. It depends upon him. Something took place some years ago that caught my attention. An inmate was to be executed for a number of murders. His execution brought public attention for this. He was going to donate his corneas to be used in a cornea transplant before they were going to give him a lethal injection. The two men met. The, 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 the man that was designated to be executed and the man that was going to get the donation of his cornea. The man was put to death and his cornea was taken from him, transplanted in a successful operation into a good man. And here's the question. Suppose the police came now to that good man's house and arrested him because he had the corneas of a murderer in his eyes. He says, hey, you got a murderer inside of you. The judge would say that the corneas of the murderer are now in the body of a righteous man. Therefore, the cornea is as righteous as that man that they have been put into. Being born again is spiritual surgery that puts me in Christ. All of my messed up life gets put inside of him. And I am as righteous as he is. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become in him in him in him we might become the righteousness of christ the righteousness of god see to be born again is to be in him not in church to be born again is to be in him not in Times square church to be born again is to be in christ not in a red seat it's to be in him to be born again is in him and to be in him is to be the righteousness of god hallelujah that can happen right now right now that can happen I'm not inviting you to a membership. I'm not inviting you to, to a denomination. I'm not inviting you to religion. I'm inviting you to be in him. Some of you are going Genesis 19. That's all messed up. You haven't even heard my Genesis 19. You can't do it without Christ. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to be in him. I want to be in, in Christ. He calls that being born again. And if you're here today, I, I want to pray with you. I want to pray just before we go into water baptism, which is going to be in the annex. Balcony, main floor, online. If you're here today and just say, Pastor Tim, when you remember to be born again is to be in him. And I'm going to pray that born again slash in him slash righteousness of God prayer. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I get it. You're not calling us to be members of a church. You're not calling us to be a denomination. You're not calling us to be religious. You're calling us to be in him because he is the only one that can get you home. He is the only. Folks, we can have a thousand programs here and if we do all that, they're okay, but it's us saying you have to when it's God that does it. Old covenant says I will. Man says it. New covenant, God says I will do it for you and that can happen right now. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I need God. I want to be in Christ. I want to be in him today. Every head up, everybody looking around, everyone. You may be sitting with your family and you feel God tugging at your heart today. I'm inviting you to a relationship with God, a relationship with him today. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want that relationship. My life has been a train wreck or I've messed up or man, you have no idea what my Genesis 19 looks like. But if God can do that for Lot, I know he can do that for me. And wherever you're at, you say, Pastor Tim, when we pray that prayer, that in him, born again, righteousness of God prayer, I want to be all in. If that's you, without any hesitation, balcony, main floor, online, if you're here today and say, would you put me, make me part of that? I want to pray that. I want to pray that prayer with you. Put me in that. Without any hesitation, if that's you, Hold up your hand right now. Hold it up as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can. Folks, look at all these hands. Balcony, keep your hands up. Look at all these hands. That excites me to no end. Keep those hands up high. Hey, can we all pray this together? Come on, let's pray this together. Come on, everybody out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. 
and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God for that. Hallelujah! Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.